All right, so lesson four is entitled Israel's Covenantal Constitution, the Love of God. It's really part one of two lessons where we're going to be tackling the real substance, the core, the heart of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the Deuteronomic Code. So the Deuteronomic Code goes from chapter 12 to chapter 26. This is kind of part one where we're going to be tackling the first uh, section of these various laws that regard the love of God corresponding to the first three commandments. And then lesson five, we're going to be tackling the rest of the Deuteronomic Code. That would be the second half of chapter 16 all the way through 26. And why I divided it that way will make a lot sense, a lot of sense, a lot more sense when we go through the structure of the Deuteronomic Code. But first, I want to just go over uh, really quickly and recap where we are looking at this whole gigantic exhortation that Moses is giving to the people here in this covenantal constitution that he wants to give them as they're going to live in the land that God gives them as a gift. So what we saw recently was that the universal eternal moral law of the Ten Commandments was given to the people by Moses or reiterated to the second generation back in chapter 5. Then afterwards, in chapter 6 through 11, Moses expounded upon the attitude, the internal disposition that everyone must have towards those Ten Commandments. It's not legalism. It's not, you know, a begrudgingly obeying the commandments because God is a big old party pooper. It's the fact that God loves you and he has chosen you amongst all peoples. And so therefore you must love him back. It's a relationship. That's what a covenant is, right? It is a, it's a family bond. So you are in relationship with God. And so you are to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that really was the uh, the golden thread that unites really all of the book of Deuteronomy, but specifically that section in chapters 6 through 11, how do you shema, right? Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord and love him and serve him and obey him. Be all in, right? You, you have to love him wholeheartedly, unreservedly. And so now, after he has given this exhortation, he's going to launch into the specific statutes and ordinances for Israel to live as a nation state, Okay. So as we jump into these chapters, 12 through 26 in this lesson and next lesson, you have to remember that Deuteronomy is a second law to Sinai. If you go to Deuteronomy, we talked about this in the first lesson, but in Deuteronomy 29 verse 1, it says, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb or Sinai. So this is a second law. That's what Deuteronomy means, Deuteronomos, second law, but it's also secondary, right? It has that meaning in that sense. It's secondary, it's temporary, it's imperfect, okay? So I'm going to kind of recap on a lot of what we did in lesson one, but this is really, really important to have fresh in our minds as we jump through these various laws because they seem really strict and harsh and uh, they kind of seem random. They're not random at all. I'll explain to you the structure in just a moment. Uh, but I have a quote here for you uh, from your commentary. It says, certain laws in Deuteronomy tend to be harsher and stricter than previous law codes, which is a result of Moses' experience of the stubbornness and recalcitrance of Israel in the wilderness, end quote. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Moses had a really hard time leading these knuckleheads throughout the wilderness for 40 years. They have rebellion after rebellion after rebellion, and they are prone to sin, and they you know, fall uh, into sin grievously, like with the golden calf and Baal Peor and all the other rebellions. And so Moses is really trying to shorten the leash, right, or tighten the grip on Israel because they're just so prone to sin. They need additional laws, right? Why was the law given, Paul says? It was given because of transgressions. Okay, so uh, you have to keep that in mind. It, it does seem harsher. It does seem stricter. But Moses is trying to deal with a very stubborn people. In fact, Jesus will say, we'll talk about this more in the next lesson when we look at uh, the accommodation of divorce. 
But Jesus himself tells his audience that Moses allowed for divorce for the hardness of their heart, right? They're stubborn, stiff-necked people. And so Moses has got to just really drill into them a little bit more. As a result, therefore, this central law code, this Deuteronomic code, it's got all kinds of various laws and accommodations, dietary laws, ritual laws, secular civil laws, all this stuff is going to pass away, okay? These things do pass away when Israel ceases to exist as a nation, when uh, Judaism is fulfilled in Christ and passes away. We talked about this before, like uh, Acts of the Apostles deals with this a lot, right, with the whole issue of circumcision, and Paul's epistles will talk about this. The, the, the laws of Deuteronomy, the laws, the Mosaic law in general, passes away once it's fulfilled in Christ. The Ten Commandments, however, do not pass away. And that is why you're going to see that when we've studied, the Ten Commandments are given in chapter 5, and they're not actually part of the Deuteronomic Code here in chapters 12 through 26. They're separate from that. That's really, really important. They come prior to it, and they're separate from it. So you see that it, there's something distinct from the eternal natural moral law that we're all created with in our spiritual DNA, right? The Ten Commandments versus these temporary laws, these secondary laws that Moses gives so that way Israel can exist as a nation state. That's a very, very important distinction here. And you also see that distinction later on in chapter 31, verse 26, where Moses commands them to put the, the, the book of the law and put it separate uh, to the Ark of the Covenant, next to the Ark of the Covenant. That's in verse 26 where he says, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. So the Ten Commandments go inside the ark, right? But the book of the law here, Moses' law, goes next to the ark. So again, it's showing its inferiority and it's separate. All right. Also, you're, we're going to see later on, we'll talk about this later in the last lesson, lesson six, that the Deuteronomic Code is going to be ratified in the land on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, right? We'll talk about how the tribes are going to separate and they're going to shout the blessings and the curses. That's going to be fulfilled in Joshua chapter 8. But this covenant is not ratified on Sinai. It's not ratified in Jerusalem, okay? It is a secondary and perfect law that's ratified on these other mountains here, okay? So it's really important to keep that in mind. We studied the Ten Commandments. It comes prior to this Deuteronomic Code here in the central section. Uh, even the code itself is not put in the Ark of the Covenant. That's really important because as we look at some of these laws and they seem harsh and they seem strict, there's a lot of spiritual typology that I'm going to take you through with this stuff, um, but it is distinct. It's united, but it is distinct, very, very much so. So also remember that the Mosaic Law in its entirety, right, not just these chapters 12 through 6, but the entirety of the Mosaic Covenant is a preparation and a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It is a pedagogue. We talked about this as well in Galatians chapter 3. Paul is going to explain at length how the law cannot save, right? The Mosaic law cannot save you. It discloses sin, and it's a pedagogue. It's a teacher for Israel until Israel is supposed to come of maturity, come of age when Christ comes, okay? And then the law passes away. So it is in preparation for Jesus and fulfilled in Christ. And your catechism, paragraph 1964, I think says this really beautifully. It says, the old law is a preparation for the gospel. The law is a pedagogy and a prophecy of things to come. It prophesies and presages the work of liberation from sin, which will be fulfilled in Christ. It provides the New Testament with images and types and symbols for expressing the life according to the Spirit. Finally, the law is completed by the teaching of the sapient, sapiential or wisdom books and the prophets which set its course towards the new covenant and the kingdom of heaven. 
So the law really has its place. And again, we, we've got to, we really need to study and be familiar with the Pentateuch. We have to know it because the Pentateuch is to the Old Testament what the Gospels are to the New Testament, right? So if we understand the law better, we understand how it's organized and how it's structured and the reason why it was given and we understand its nature, all of this stuff is going to really help us understand what fulfills the law, which is Jesus Christ himself and the church and the kingdom and all this stuff. So we really, really need to have a a firm understanding of what this is all about. And that actually brings us to this next section here, which is, well, what is the structure of this Deuteronomic code? Because I kid you not, many people do not understand how this is organized. And if anyone tries to read just this, the common non-scholars, even scholars argue about this uh, ad nauseum, um, but people will say, well, like, this is all a bunch of random laws here. It's not structured. It's not methodical. It's just higgledy-piggledy uh, miscellaneous laws that Moses just kind of seems to throw together, you know, stream of consciousness, right? And that's definitely not true at all. As I've said before in many Bible studies, there is a method to the madness. This is the inspired word of God. Everything is structured in a particular way. And some things are easier to see than others in terms of the structure of this whole section, chapter 12 through 26. But uh, keep in mind again, that these chapters are a temporary law code. It's a practical application for Israel as a nation then and there, right? Uh, in, In that time setting, in that culture, how They're supposed to live out the Ten Commandments. So really it's an application, these laws are, an application of the Ten Commandments themselves, okay? Now, some of them are civil or secular or ritual, dietary, things like that will pass away. Some of them are clear expressions of the uh, moral eternal law. There's a little bit of overlap, um, but those, again, those laws that are more geared towards the religion and towards the secular state, those pass away. The eternal laws do not. So here's a quote for you. I really think this is this is a fantastic way to understand how these laws are structured and now how I'm dividing up these two lessons as we're going to go through the highlights of this section. So here's the quote from your Catholic introduction to the Bible, the Old Testament. Scholars have long puzzled over the exact rationale behind this second law and debated the organizing principles behind it. Although a variety of explanations have been ordered, perhaps the most compelling views the material in the Deuteronomic Code, that's chapters 12 through 26, as an expansion and application of the laws of the Ten Commandments, first given to Israel at Mount Sinai, then reiterated by Deuteronomy itself on the plains of Moab, end quote. So you'll find that uh, reference in your Catholic introduction to the Old Testament. Also, the Hamilton handbook that I uh, recommend for you, he goes into that as well. But it's really, really incredible and eye-opening to see how, yes, these the Deuteronomic Code, chapters 12 to 26, it is an expansion and application of the Ten Commandments, and it follows the Ten Commandments in sequence. And that's what this little chart here for you is representing. I, I took it straight out of your commentary. So this is, you can, you can consult it there on page 264 and 265. It's really, really amazing to see the structure, the beauty, the harmony of all of this. So you've got the Ten Commandments listed here on the left. All right, one through 10, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Then right next to it, you can see as you progress through the Deuteronomic Code, chapters 12 through 26, each of these laws correspond to the Ten Commandments. So it's not random at all. It's not higgledy-piggledy at all. It's not stream of consciousness, just, you know, miscellaneous laws. There is a structure, there is a harmony, and there is a beauty to it. So just a couple of examples here. 
as we're going to dive straight into chapter 12 here in just a little bit, uh, chapter 12 is dealing with illicit sacrifice, a central sanctuary, the uh, of course, the prohibition against idolatry. That all corresponds with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven images. Okay. And then the second commandment, of, is, of course, is the prohibition of blasphemy, like hallowing the Lord's name, as we say in the Our Father. And so you're going to find, of course, laws in chapter 13 about false prophecies, you know, and abominable foods. At, at first glance, you think, well, what does food have to do with blasphemy? But I'm going to explain that to you. And then, of course, the third commandment is observance of the Sabbath. And then so you have corresponding to that a long section about feasts, the sabbatical year. That's all about covenantal rest, Sabbath rest, worship of God, sanctifying Sabbath rest, Sabbath worship, and on and on it goes. Like the fourth commandment here, honoring father and mother. Well, that's talking about legitimate authority, right? Well, there's all kinds of different legitimate authorities in our world. So he's going to talk about judges and priests and various leaders, kings, like when they're going to ask for a king, Levites, all this stuff. Prohibition of murder, number five, commandment number five. Uh, he's going to talk about manslaying, right, versus murder, right? There's a difference between accidental murder and intentional murder. He's going to talk about war and capital crimes. And that all falls under the category of the fifth commandment. Uh, prohibitions of adultery. So he's going to talk about rape, adultery, incest, various other sexual immorality issues, uh, prohibition against stealing, destructive loans, kidnapping, just wages. And it's just incredible. Right? On and on it goes, right? So the structure of the Ten Commandments, as I said to you before, the first three deals with love of God, and the final seven commandments deal with love of neighbor, right? So therefore, in the Deuteronomic Code, the various laws that go from chapter 12 to 16 deal with love of God. That's what we're going to talk about in this lesson here. And then the next lesson, we're going to talk about the Deuteronomic Code as it regards to the love of neighbor. That's why I structured these two lessons the way I did, because I'm just following the Ten Commandments. Now, this, I tell you, like, even if you don't, <laughs> even if you read Deuteronomy just one time through, but you understand this rationale, it will make it so much more fruitful for you. Because if you don't know this, it becomes very difficult, unless you're very, very good at finding patterns, right? Some people are excellent at finding patterns. But this is the superstructure by which Moses outlines all of these laws. So stepping back just one more minute here, just to conclude this, chapter 5, he goes through the Ten Commandments. Chapter 6 through 11, he talks about the internal disposition on how to love God with your whole heart, mind, and strength. And then you've got the application of the Ten Commandments for Israel as a nation state in chapters 12 through 26. All right? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. So your Catholic introduction to the Old Testament lays that out really, really nicely. And this is what we're going to be covering.